A quick thank you to one of today's sponsors, Podcorn. Podcorn is a marketplace connecting podcasters to amazing sponsorship opportunities, such as host-read ads, interview segments, discussions, and more. With Podcorn, there's no middleman. Podcasters of all sizes can browse and choose opportunities right on the platform, set their own rates, and collaborate with brands directly. You never give up any rights to your podcast, and Podcorn is here to support you every step of the way to ensure you are protected and compensated for the work you do with brands. Personally, I've been waiting for the launch of Podcorn for some time. My experience using the platform has been super pleasant. I've been in contact with numerous sponsors, sent lots of proposals, been assigned campaigns, and even gotten to know a few new folks through the whole process. If you are a podcaster or someone looking to promote your product or service, I highly recommend you look into the Podcorn platform. Check out the link in the show notes to learn more or go to podcorn.com slash podcasters to get started. That's P-O-D-C-O-R-N dot com slash podcasters. It's really easy just to ask yourself, well, what would I want? And I don't think you can like reliably answer that question if you're not the target market. How do we, how can we be impactful for kids? Can we give them something of value that they're on board to and get excited about it? Are you really excited about this? Like it might be a market opportunity. That's true. That, I feel like that would, that loses its steam pretty fast. So for me, is it just another job? Or is it something that you know I'll be able to really say, I, I did great work. My name is Brandon Hilkert and I'm the CTO of Bark. This is Code Story, a podcast bringing you interviews with tech visionaries who share in the critical moments of what it takes to change an industry and build and lead a team that has your back. I'm your host, Noah Laphart, and today how Brandon Hilker set out to keep parents in the know and keep kids safer online. All this and more on Code Story. Early in his career, Brennan Hilkert shifted from a mechanical engineering focus to tech support for a school district. Through his exposure to IT operations, he drifted towards software and becoming acquainted with building startup solutions. While considering the purpose, legacy, and impact of his work, he was approached by his co-founder to create something to alert parents of potential online dangers for kids. This conversation ultimately led to the start of a simple yet sophisticated internet safety solution for parents and kids called Bark. So tell me, tell me about Bark. Tell me about the company, what you do, and then how you got started with it. Yeah, Bark is a company that we started a little over four years ago with the intent to use machine learning to surface issues on kids' social media text and email accounts. And so, you know, there's been plenty of stories in the media and, you know, just hearing um, through articles that how social media has changed kind of 
you know, how we interact with one another, how people feel about themselves, and certainly kids who, you know, are debatably able to handle all this information and criticism potentially. And, you know, on the internet, anybody can be anybody they want, you know, and they don't really often don't even have to put a, a real name to it. And so you get um, these people and their tendencies to come out more so than they might if they're face to face with somebody. And so we set out to try to keep kids safer online being able to monitor their social media, email and text messages and surface issues to the parents if and when we do find an issue. And I think some of it uh, is really about education. We, we spend a lot of time helping non-technical parents uh, figure out how to navigate you know, the complexities of the social networks that pop up every day and are different and can be anonymous or may not, right? So how do you how do you think about those challenges with kids that just were given a phone, you know, and said, you know, good luck, and they have sort of full access to the internet, which you know can be a a dicey place sometimes. So that's kind of the core goal of the company is to is to generally just try to keep kids safer online. Um, that comes in a variety of forms, but ultimately we offer a consumer product to parents, SaaS subscription style, and parents can add their kids, um, you know, uh, their kids' devices and accounts and everything, and surface issues when there are if, if we do find any did having a young family drive a lot of your decision to to become a part of this for sure yeah so you know, i got started working with startups kind of 2010 uh time frame had been working in, in more kind of network-based management for i don't know i guess maybe at that time eight seven or eight years and uh when i when i started doing more development i got interested in startups and it was just exciting for me to be able to wear a lot of hats and that was one of the one of the pieces that didn't quite keep me with the mechanical engineering piece where it was just kind of monotonous and probably had something to do with the, the position itself but you know for me being in a small company it meant I could you know put something together for marketing one day and then the next day release a new feature and Bark for me was a great opportunity to to stretch that challenge and I was working at some startups and um, my wife and I had had our first our child our daughter and you know, I think having kids, as cliche as it might be, you know, it makes you think of, you know, like what you're really doing and like the value you provide to the world and, um, you know, how you're going to like take care of this little human being, you know, and uh, try to keep them safe and, and do everything you can in your power to help them grow up to be, you know, a great person um, and whatever that means for them. And it caused me to think about, you know, with with my skill set, you know, what what were some things that, you know, at the end of the day, I, I would be really proud of. And it's, it's probably kind of like grim to, to think about it, but I, I would ask myself, like, if I were, if I were, knew I was going to die tomorrow, like, would I be really proud of the things and I did and how I spent my time, you know, which caused me to think about how, how do I spend my time? But ultimately, like, what for work, like, I knew technically I could build um, just about anything I could think of, idea wise, certainly couldn't maybe couldn't do all of it myself but you know made me think like at the time it wasn't going to be something that I really left my mark on the world it, it caused me to think about you know well in the next move what does that mean or, or how do I gauge what I want to do and how important it is to me and um, is it just another job is it the next succession and sort of the career ladder or is it something that you know I'll be able to really walk away from in the end and say I I did great work you know, and I'm really proud of, of what I did. And so, you know, if, if I'm if I'm gone tomorrow, then there was a little bit of a stamp left. And so I realized at the time when I was thinking about this uh, and having my daughter caused me to kind of have these thoughts, you know, the answer to those things was that it wasn't super proud of all the things I had worked on or built. While it wasn't an overnight kind of change, it was, it was a mindset change that caused me to, to then sort of set the pieces into play that would head me down this path. And um, Bark for me checked all those boxes. 
The best feedback we've ever gotten as a company is that, and this is from dozens of parents at this point, is that they believe that Bark saved their kid's life. It's a pretty hefty mark to imagine, you know, losing a child and to think that there was a tool responsible, that that was something that I had made. I think it caused me to have a better approach and a more kind of sustainable uh, guiding value system to really think about opportunities. That's an amazing story. Let's get into tech a little bit. Tell me about the MVP of the product and how long it took to build and, and what sort of tools you used. Yeah, one of the interesting things about Bark is it's heavily driven by data science. And I remember talking originally with my co-founder, Brian. So he, he approached me and we started talking about this idea and he had had the idea and came to me and said, you know, is this something you think we can make? He had a technical background. So I openly said to him, I said, hey, this like I'm, I'm really into this. Sounds great. I, I don't know if I can help with the data science side. And I didn't have any experience with it. So for me, that was, it was intimidating. I felt like, well, maybe I'm not the best person for this if I can't hold up that piece of the deal. You know, if it's just a couple of us, like how I'm largely making it, you know, if I can't do that, like maybe I'm not a good fit for this. I'm, yeah, it's funny. Um, I, I still remember to this day, he, I said that, I said, you know, I, I really don't know anything about data science. And he very quickly uh, said, yeah, neither do I, but we'll figure it out. And we moved on to the next point. And I thought, man, that for a company really based around data science and be able to surface these issues at scale, you know, I thought, man, he's kind of sweeping this under the rug, but maybe, you know, maybe he knows something that I don't. And so, you know, after a little bit, we, we decided to move forward and, um, you know, started building it. And we knew we were going to monitor social media. And so I had a background in connecting to social media accounts, showing all the permissions needed and, and pulling them for certain things. We were just looking for some different stuff. But I was confident I could get that pretty quickly together. Uh, but the data science side, we did hire one person at the time to handle that piece of it. So that was, you know, I knew it was going to take, you know, an app of some kind and then somebody to say, look, hey, we got this, we got this piece of data. Can you tell me if it's an issue for cyberbullying or hate speech or depression? And so we built those, both of those things in parallel. And so the MVP was really like, can we connect to one uh, network? You know, have, a, have somebody be able to sign up, connect, add their kids, right? My, my kid's name is this. I'm going to connect their Facebook to theirs uh, account and then, um, you know, and then monitor their, their uh, activity in the background and then surface issues when we find it. And so the data science piece, you know, kind of went off in his own, uh, building some stuff and came up with, you know, a, a pretty hacked together version of, of, of what we have today. That was a simple, you know, kind of HTTP endpoint that would give it some data and it would return back and say, yes, no, it was an issue or it wasn't. And, and then we would take action based on that response. So yeah, it was, it was just a website, you know, there was no, there was no native apps or anything. And um, I think probably, you know, maybe getting, you know, starting from nothing to getting something that somebody could click through, probably like two months, maybe. Now having something that we were proud of took a lot longer, but. Um, what sort of tech did you use to build that initial, the two month build? Yeah, so early for me, you know, as a standard kind of web stack for me, it was, it was Rails, the Postgres backend. Um, I'd done a lot of open source work with Sidekick, which is a background job processing library. And so um, for me, that was pretty natural to bring in. Um, the interesting thing about Bark is, is a lot of the work goes on in the background. So, you know, we have like very little worries about keeping a website up and, and the website traffic actually doesn't really indicate our success, which is a little bit opposite of a lot of pretty typical web apps. So the website needs are minimal. And then, you know, we, uh, always in the background are looking for stuff and, and analyzing it. So um, we have these massive clusters or clusters of servers now doing background work and these little small little web servers just up for redundancy really. And so it's a kind of a different mindset, but it's, yeah, it's a, it's a standard rail stack. So Redis was involved for sidekick backing. And then the data science piece was, uh, or is still all Python. It was at the time too. So it was fronted with a small flask API, a JSON API, and then um, 
at the time, I'm trying to think back, uh, it was it was just some kind of basics NLP libraries from that are in the Python world that are that are popular. A quick word from today's sponsors. As a community of entrepreneurs, startup founders, and digital creators, we all know how expensive and time-consuming getting quality design can be. But it doesn't have to be. With Design Pickle, there's no drama, no HR, no interviews, just unlimited graphic design requests and revisions, all for one flat price. In just a few clicks, you can have access to the ultimate tool for turning your creative ideas into business realities. Receive 10% off your first month of any Design Pickle plan using promo code CODESTORY in all caps at designpickle.com slash CODESTORY. Parents, it's no secret that your kids are online. From iPads to smartphones to gaming and YouTube, it's what they do these days. But did you also know there are very real dangers online? Predators, cyberbullying, explicit content, and so much more. Thankfully, you can now get alerts when your kids encounter trouble online, thanks to Bark, technology that keeps your children safer online and in real life. Visit bark.us and receive 20% off when you use the promo code story during signup. That's bark.us promo code story for 20% off. What sort of decisions and trade-offs did you have to make building that first two-month prototype and you know, how did you guys cope with those decisions? Well, one of the challenges with data science is, is having data, you know, and so when oftentimes you can go, if you're talking about a subject that's popular or, you know, has been in industry for a while, you can go out and get a data set and either hand label it or, or farm that out to, to, you know, somebody else um, to kind of put human labels on it. But you can find a data set. And that was the challenging piece for us was we say, hey, we're going to create a cyberbullying classifier. We need data. We need data one that says like, this is not cyberbullying. So the negatives are really important. And then we need data to say this is cyberbullying. And unfortunately, at the time, and it may be more so today, you know, you had a lot of data sets that were focused around sentiment. So like analysis for comments on YouTube or um, Wikipedia articles or reviews on Amazon, that type of thing. So you would have sentiment analysis that might tag together a bunch of reviews and categorize them into certain buckets and um, so you have this data and ultimately you need to like do some either supervisor and supervised learning on it and so that was the challenge was you know how do we build uh, together put together the first version of a classifier that can be trained on data that we didn't have and so ultimately you know you through places you know at four or four and a half years ago that you you felt to be toxic there was a likelihood that there was some kind of bullying you know cyberbullying going on so YouTube uh, comments come to mind you know, on large videos. So we scraped a bunch of stuff from there. Yeah, message boards, Reddit, you know, at the time you know, there were certain ones that were, you know, more abusive than others. And, you know, and then we started labeling those things. We started off just doing it ourselves. So built a tool where you look at something and say, yes, it's styrolling. No, it's not. We tried some mechanical Turk stuff. It was largely internal employees that helped us build that first data set. And so we knew we wanted to monitor for a lot of things, but out of the gates, you can't go out with a lot of things because it's just, it's too overwhelming. Um, introducing a single classifier to do one thing really well is is really difficult and then try to do it across you know at this point we have about nine uh, that are really good and then uh, subtle ones for uh, about another 15 so we knew what we wanted long term and whittling that down to like you know the mvp version of it was like okay well let's focus on cyberbullying and then you think about cyberbullying and how it relates to hate speech well there's probably hate speech typically is like a subset of cyberbullying often you'll see cyberbullying remnants in you know something that might involve hate speech and so you're kind of like 
giving these this pieces of text uh, multiple labels. And so one of the, I think one of the early on concessions we made was, uh, you know, if you look at let's say you're exchanging uh, messages with some a friend, and there's 50 messages you know back and forth, you know each each wrote 25. We would analyze each each line differently you know, without context. And so you would look at a line and say like, hey, what's up? And we would analyze that. Is that sorry? We're like, no, it doesn't seem like it. Next line, you know, uh, you know, joking around. Hey, what are you doing this weekend? You know, or something. And then you might get to a line that says like, I hate you. And you know, say, whoa, that's that might be cyberbullying. There was very little context. You know, the thing didn't really understand at the time that the I hate you might have been might come before the next message. That's you know, was like a smiley face emoji or something. And so, but but we knew that we that's what we wanted. But that was a lot harder. And so. We started off with just this kind of single message approach analyzing, and it was it was easier to go out of the gates, certainly. But then we found very quickly for like a parent, like when we did surface an issue, it would be like, "I hate you," and then they would be like, "Well, what happened? Like, what what caused my son to say that, or my daughter, you know, or what caused the other person to say that? Like, was it a joke? You know?" And they very quickly said to us, "I don't understand what this is about. Can you give me the messages?" and our ethos at the start of the company was very, um, very focused on privacy for the child. The other products in the market were focused on just giving the parents the entire, the entire kid's social media feed and let them sift through it. So it was really just an aggregation tool. And it was like emailing you every night, you know, a list of a thousand messages the kid might have been involved in. And so it took a lot of the parents' time, and it and then it didn't really offer the kid privacy. You know, they they could talk about the kids could talk about some things and parent parent would know everything about it and it didn't really offer the kid much privacy so we set out to do this in a way that you know hey we're going to only surface the issues the child gets their privacy parent only gets involved when we believe uh, based on what the classifiers are saying there's an issue so uh, we just said hey we're going to put you know the five messages before and the five messages after for the parent to see and so they can understand maybe what led to it and then what was said after right that's interesting it's interesting to hear about the early the early days to now too you know you're kind of pioneering this, you know, early machine learning data science based solution where, you know, there weren't a ton of frameworks out there for this. There might've been some NLP natural language processing stuff that you could take advantage of maybe, but there certainly wasn't any, you know, frameworks out there for, Hey, this is cyberbullying or not, or this is hate speech or not. And so you essentially had to build that by using you know, structured and unstructured learning in the, the machine learning space. And it must have been an epic thing to, uh, like an epic mountain to climb to, to build it, but also an incredibly exciting product to be working on. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when you see the computer make decisions like that and you're like, wow, uh, this is amazing. I don't know. You know, at the time, I, don't, I, I really don't think I knew how long it would take to be good at it. And I don't know that that would have changed anything. I, you know, it, I think I thought it, we'd get better at it faster. But four and a half years ago, it was like, you didn't have a lot of the tools. You know, there was no, there was no real mention of neural net stuff. I mean, there probably was like in, in smaller communities, but it certainly wasn't mainstream. And it was like, we're not sure if this, you know, it was an approach probably being pitched in academia, and, but it didn't really catch on. And so you didn't have these tools to just out of the box to give you a model that that work pretty close. Like now, you know, there are pre-trained models that you can get off the shelf that you know, work really well for, you throw some data at it, will like get pretty close. And you don't need you know, a PhD in data science to get you there. It was quite different then. You know? So using a lot of, of kind of old approaches that worked well, you know, um, 
things like uh, you know a lot of the tactics that came up with internet search you know and, and distances between similar types of words and um, some of those kind of shallow learning techniques leverage uh, TFIDF and um, that type of thing that you would you would commonly see to to understand you know is this word or is this phrase or sentence similar to the other phrase or sentence that I know is to be cyberbullying but it's not quite the same and so we started off very very basic approaches um, it's obviously gotten far more complex now but it also was fueled by the you know the accelerated kind of development of technology around data science and tools and tensorflow and you know just um, these massive companies doing incredible research and, and making this easier and more approachable for everyone i mean it it's kind of an everybody wins type thing you know where they ultimately will have people more familiar with their tools and and can hire more but you know it's still like there's a lot of tutorials you can, you can find articles pretty easily to just kind of throw up something and get it to say if it's a monkey or not you know an image but like when you start getting into very specific things like um, you know we have an adult classifier for media so does it have nudity in it yes no you know this is something you could find if you go to google or microsoft or amazon's off the shelf classifiers but what starts getting hairy is like your use case tends to be a little different so it's like well yeah it is but we're looking for you know really specific types of nudity with kids and like you know it's not quite the same and so a lot of you know adult type classifiers um, are based around something like porn and you know it turns out that that's often not the most common type of adult content shared on on a kid's social media platform or text messaging or just saved on their phone and so you know very quickly you get into like well yeah that's fine but it, like how does it work for our use case you know like sentiment you know toxic comments you know sure i can i can find a toxic comment with an off-the-shelf model for you know an amazon review but how does it work when kids um, use a ton of acronyms and never spell things properly and um, the wikipedia articles you know in the in the embeddings that are on the internet now they, they don't know how to deal with that and so very quickly we realized that child child speak and the content that children we're dealing with is different and you know we have to get very good at, at tailoring our approaches uh, to those topics and so that's what you know the off-shelf tools don't give you that but you need to be great at it to it's certainly a good starting point if you have nothing i feel lucky to be have access to the tools that we do now um but it also has been four and a half years so i also recognize that like in startup time this is like you know decades so how has the product progressed i've got you know pretty good idea how you've how you've done that and how you've you know gone about making your your processes and your learning you know making your models work right and work well but how have you matured it from those early days to now and then even you know even throughout that process too how did you figure out what was most important to build next yes yeah, so the progression i mean on the data science side it's pretty easy it's it's how do we get these you know, the, our ability to flag this type of thing uh, as great as possible and as accurate as possible. So that was kind of one parallel track. The other track was sort of with the product itself. And, you know, um, early on, uh, and we still have a very small team, I would say, you know, we didn't have any designers, really. We had some contractors that helped us out. So it's pretty rough. You know, it worked, but it wasn't it wasn't smooth end to end. You know, and I'd say there's been a large, we've we've invested a lot in, in a creative team that is, is very good at both um, copywriting um, for our specific demographic and you're making making it also look nice at the same time and so this has caused us to go back through all these workflows and say like well when a parent signs up what is their experience you know does this does this cater to them and i, I think one of the things we missed early on was you know catering to really understanding the demographic that was most commonly going to sign up and these were non-technical mostly female parents right so of a certain age group and so 
they were parents that were similar age to myself, but I, I think I underestimated the lack of technical knowledge they would have. You know, I figured, you know, I'm in a technical industry, so it's sort of automatic, but they didn't necessarily grow up, you know, I didn't grow up with social media. And so we are really the first generation dealing with our kids being entirely exposed to social media devices, you know, screen time uh, at their birth. Right, so they know no different. And so while you know, a handful of parents you know, have Facebook accounts and whatever, they don't spend a ton of their time on it. And many, many didn't. And they were coming to us asking, you know, well, we need help with this, but we also don't understand it. Can you help us understand it? I think we missed the fact that a large part of our onboarding and product uh, decisions should have been more about education and less about like, look at the fancy stuff we're doing. They just didn't understand that. And frankly, like, you know, we, we missed the boat on that. It wasn't our job to sort of like shout from the rooftops how great we are. It was really our job to help them kind of navigate the problem, which was, you know, how do I keep my kids safer online? And I'm starting in this very non-educated, technically speaking, uh, uh, platform. And, and how can you both tell me about what I should expect? Like, what are the risks? Help me understand it. And then after all that, give me in very simple terms, like, how do I, how do I set up Bark? And it's taken us, you know, these four and a half years to get to a point where we feel very confident about surfacing issues. And the interesting thing about that is, you know, there's still a ton of companies that can't do that well. And so now that we're like in this place, certainly we're not going to give up on that. But the question is now, where do we go from here? And I believe that we're sort of at a, a crossroads to really providing um, an insane amount of value uh, beyond just surfacing issues. We got that in the bag. Um, so we're always going to try to get better, um, but we have a lot of systems in place to get that better. But where do we go from here now that we have this data? Can we give you more? Can we give you positive situations? Can we tell you about how your friend, you know, talked to another friend off a ledge from committing suicide? These are like impactful statements. I mean, as, as, as a parent, there's fewer things that give me really make me really proud than hearing about like a good deed my kid did or really having a strong relationship with them and having a tool to really like uh, build that, you know, can we, can we give recommendations on how to, um, how to build your relationship with your child. Can we, can we tell you, Hey, um, your kid's favorite, you know, musical artist is, is playing down the road. And we know this because they're listening to it on Spotify. You should take them or you should play it in the car. The next time you're, you know, you're in the, in the car and have to drive somewhere. Like these little things I, I think can help really bridge that, that age gap, you know, where, where kids just feel like their parents are, uh, don't know anything about what's going on. And, um, so it's really taken, taking all that data we have now and, and doing more intelligent things and, I don't want to say just surfacing issues because it's a it's a monumental problem that um, we send hundreds of thousands a day, but it's it's uh, it's sort of the the baseline I think to be to be great at this. How are you currently building your product to be scalable? You're doing a lot of data processing, uh, a lot of job running, which requires you know a lot of computationally intensive processes and databases and such. So how are you how are you architecting this thing to scale well? Yeah, so early on, we, um, you know, we, we had a database, we had Postgres, and we said, we'll throw some stuff in there. And it became very clear after we started getting some more signups that that wasn't going to, that wasn't going to work forever. We had one particular table that was kind of ballooning out of control. And so we called it activities. It was really just like, think of it as just messages. And these were messages that weren't necessarily issues, but they were the, you know, the total messages that we found in text or on social media. That table was growing really fast, much faster than all the others. And so it was clear that you know, we needed to move, uh, move that off Postgres. 
And it, it was especially clear because it would have certainly would have lasted a while. Like I don't want to suggest that you can put billions of things in, in Postgres because you can. But we we also didn't have an operations team, you know, or anybody that was really really watching the infrastructure twenty four seven. Probably didn't have great you know monitoring at the time. And so it was really about like, well, we have this now. We know it's a, a good stack. Um, it's reliable. But with this scale of messages, uh, is that is that going to stay that way? And so. You know, with a lot of kind of research and help and just peers and asking, being curious, we ended up moving that that single table off of Postgres. It, we ended up putting in, in DynamoDB in Amazon. And, you know, it's a good, I think it's a good kind of example of going towards managed services um, because of the size and, and the skill set on our team. We had great application engineers. I was doing all the infrastructure work and, you know, thinking about keeping some other database up that was on you know, like raw instances was not something I was really stoked about. And so it was the question was really like, how can I continue to ship product features and, and doing what I'm doing um, moving while moving this table out and not not being worried that, you know, in a month we're going to run out of something, capacity space, you know, there's only so far you can scale like a Postgres instance up. Um, but we were doing a bunch of inserts, you know, so the a lot of the you know, scaling challenges sometimes come from doing a lot of reads and you can, you know, shard data, you can put a bunch of read replicas and read from them. We were just writing tons of data, you know, it's just going out, going out to Facebook, going out to Gmail, you know, getting messages and, and shoving them in the database. And then at some point saying, oh, we should analyze all that stuff. And so you know, it was just constantly jamming in messages. And, and so Dynamo for us ultimately serves as a really just glorified key value store. So um, that's, that's how we use it. it. We don't, there's more you can do with it, obviously, but, um, you know, we, we kind of serve it back just as like store it here, uh, keep a reference to it, and then um, keep sort of a temporary cache of the things that are coming in. No, we need to analyze those. And when it's time to analyze, then pull them back up. So to this day, that, that still is there. Um, and that was the need for that was accelerated because we, we launched a schools product and that was free for, for all schools in the US. And we didn't really know what to expect at the time, but we figured there were issues on school accounts, not just personal accounts. But we also believe that the total coverage being schools and parent, you know, and personal was like kind of the, the perfect world scenario for a for a parent. And so when we scale when we started when we launched that, I think it took about six weeks when we had a million kids on it. So a million kids, you have we call them connections, but there's you know a connection, let's say if you sign up a school and they have ten thousand kids, um, they each have three connections. Uh, at the time it was YouTube, Gmail and, and Google Drive. So we would analyze all those things. So it'd be thirty thousand connections and then a million kids, you know, times that amount. So we saw this kind of trend starting and I was like, oh man it became clear that we need to do this like ASAP, move, move this table off of off of Postgres. And so that accelerated the need to do that. And so I, I, I think at the time I felt like I wish I had a little more time to really sift through some options. I'm not regretful of, of what we did, but to this day, it's still been the same. We're at a much higher scale now uh, and it's stayed in Dynamo. Obviously the um, the bill is a little higher, but largely uh, it's been it's been the same. And um, that table is there and everything else is still in Postgres. So it's worked out and you know, in hindsight, it, it was a great, decision tell me tell me about a mistake that you made and, and how you and your team responded to it it was maybe two years ago or so we were we were analyzing ios data uh, through i iCloud, right so you, you can take backups of your ios um, your device right through and, and it happens automatically through iCloud and then so we were getting we were asking for iCloud credentials to then get the backups and there were some open source libraries that um dug into iCloud with the credentials and would you know, reverse engineer some calls and decrypt some stuff. It's a, it's a very uh, complex process. 
Um, and I certainly didn't have a background uh, necessary f to understand some of, the, of what was going on. But using this library, you know, it made it pretty easy. We get access, they give us the credentials, we save them, encrypt them, and um, you know, access them when we need to, download a backup and pull it apart, grab the things we need and analyze them. And um, some, some things happened with Apple, uh, some security events that they became, I think, a little more aware of, of people's uh, uh, non-specified use of iCloud data. Um, you know, kind of, they've largely been privacy and security focused. And so they cracked down on access to that. So we were, you know, mimicking calls as, as it looked like it was an iPhone, like many others were. And um, very quickly, accounts started getting locked. Uh, we thought, man, this is, well, first it was a big kind of swath of, you know, of our customers at the time. I, th I think I, there was probably five or 10,000 people that had an iPhone connection and, and it got locked out. We started seeing all these support things. And my, my account was locked. It's it's really frustrating to try and unlock, you know, three kids at the same time. You know, if you've ever done that, you know, you could be there for 15, 20 minutes trying to figure out what notification was sent where and where you have to approve it and whatever else with MFA and, and everything else. So we are like, okay, well, sorry, you know, how can we help? And, and there's really not much we could do. They unlocked their accounts and we thought, okay, we'll just get this through this kind of first pass. And it turns out that um, not only did they lock a bunch out of, out of just... Uh, potential risk, they installed some things um, that would then lock it pretty regularly going forward. So we would try to look for a backup once a day or so. And you know, if the phone did it, we'd grab it. If not, it might be every couple days it would it would find something. Pretty much every couple days, the access patterns got us locked out of that account. So they'd have to unlock it. So you think, man, this is this is not good. You know, this is like not sustainable. Uh, this is not what we want for our customers. Um, but we also had no other way to get iOS data. A handful of other companies at the time were doing something similar. Um, they just kept going and it would lock them. And um, we just felt like this wasn't wasn't the right thing. Like we didn't feel good about doing that to people and telling them that we monitored iOS and then have them experience that. So we shut, we shut monitoring off for iOS and it caused a lot of people to leave. Um, and it caused us to have to make some very like come to terms decisions about like, is this what we wanted despite the, you know, the negative impact on the business and so drafting these communications to parents was like one of the more painful moments i remember was just saying i'm sorry i wish we could do better here's why um and it i think what we learned at least what i learned was you know just being very transparent um nobody's ever they could they could certainly share their personal opinion but with all the facts on the table we're really trying to help them and some you know were upset um rightly so um, but we couldn't do much about it. You know, the best I could say is I'm sorry. I really want this to work. Um, but just being transparent. So we, we sent out multiple emails, all of which were all just this painful because we knew every, <laughs> every additional email was another reminder that some swath of hundreds of people would cancel. Um, and then things in the product that would pop up and say, I'm, I'm sorry, we're doing our best here. We're trying to figure out another way, uh, which we ultimately did. But um, it took months though. You know, and um, it was tough to to watch that just disappear like that. And frankly, like still kind of being in that position, you know, we're, we're dependent on some things to be available. And if they're not, we have a limited um, ability to offer our customers now service. Um, but as any kind of, I guess, good investor would say to diversify, uh, we've done that through a variety of platforms. And so at this point, you know, if we could no longer monitor Android, would that be a problem? Definitely. Yeah, it's uh, it, it was a, it was not a bright time, but a good a good lesson and just like, 
you know, this, this isn't, everything's not always hunky dory. You have to work through it and, and just how to handle that I thought was, was a good approach, but it was painful for sure at the time. What does the future look like for Bark and for the product and for your team? Well, like I mentioned with the product, I, I'm really excited about getting into like really how do we strengthen relationships um, with parents, children, kids, friends. Um, how do we, how can we be impactful for kids? Um, right now, sometimes we look like big brother, a tattletale telling on them. Can we give them something of value that they're on board to and get excited about it? We put together kind of an advisory board of, of kids, um, try to help us understand you know, how is this portrayed? You know, is, are there things we can make it easier to digest and uh, stomach that this is going on? We have an easier time with kids that are introduced to Bark when they get their first device. And that's how we recommend it. But we certainly know that, you know, not everyone is going to know about Bark before they introduce a device. So if you're a 16-year-old you know, and your your mom comes home and says, hey, I'm going to put this, you know, I'm, I'm using Bark. We're going to get your accounts connected and it's going to tell me when you have issues. You know, the knee-jerk reaction is like, well, why? Like, do you not trust me? Why do you need this? And the reality is that there's some really unfortunate situations and people on the internet um, that someone of that age is probably not ready to deal with. And they come in all forms and they come with a lot of trickery that um, we see daily, unfortunately. And it's, it's, we sort of talk about it like an insurance policy in a way. Like there's not, you don't decide one day you're just going to get car insurance. You have it in the event that something happens. It's very similar to Bark is that, you know, we, we've heard parents say, well, our kids are good, are good kids. And like, yeah, so are mine. You'd like to believe that everybody's kids are good, but like they'll get approached by people that you don't want them to. So if they're good, does that mean they always say, oh, I know you're not, this is not appropriate. I will, I'm going to ignore you or I'm going to block you or, or whatever. They don't always do that because oftentimes it's not obvious. The motivation is, is sometimes a little skewed and Unfortunately, internet predators are very good at what they do, some of them. And so, you know, when the time comes, are they ready to handle it? So just kind of help parents navigate technology and, and social media, especially when it's not kind of their forte. You know, we hope to get better out. Okay, last question. You're on a plane and you're sitting next to a young person who's got their laptop out. They're jazzed about their idea. Um, they're, they're ready to jump in and build it. And uh, just want to tell you all about it. Um, having gone through this, you know, this journey already, what advice would you give that person? First, I would ask them if this is something that they want and, and will use. And I've done it myself, gotten excited about things that didn't really, I didn't care about really. But for whatever reason, when I logically thought through them, I thought this would be great for the world and the world really needs this, but I don't need it. And I think there's a, there's a place as a, as a you know, co-founder or, or early employee, you really need to be able to get your head in, in kind of the people's heads that are going to use your product. And if you're not going to use it, you got to have like an extreme amount of communication from people that are or would use it. And it's really tough to get that. I mean, you could, right, you can do all the things that people suggest, go to coffee shops, ask, you know, and, and do all this stuff. But it's so much easier if, if you're like, I really want this thing. And that's the position that we were in. We really wanted this to exist because there was no better solution at the time. And when you're navigating a lot of decisions early on, it's really easy just to ask yourself, well, what would I want? And I don't think you can like reliably answer that question if you're not the target market and you're not stoked about having it out there. So if you're just like, I think this is what people want, you just kind of skip over some things. 
but I wanted this to work and I wanted to use it myself. And so you answer the question differently. Well, with that in mind, I would want to be able to click this, connect an account, just show me issues. I want to get a text message. Those are very basic questions, but you know, it, like I mentioned before, it's easy to miss the, well, if I'm not a technical user, how do you communicate it? Which is like a much more nuanced thing. But when you're starting out, that was a little bit like we could have said, oh, we, we should have just you know, done some surveys on some people that were interested and, and most successful in the product and realized that they didn't know too much about social media. But yeah, I think it would just be, you know, make sure this is something that you really, you are going to be a user of, you want to exist and you're ready to go all in on for years. Because I think um, it's easy to get excited about something for a week, a month, even a couple of months. And then if it dies off, it's maybe not something you want to stick around and invest all your time in because it really is, you know, it's a, it's a full-time job plus more. I have hard, a hard time separating from it, you know, no matter where I am, what I'm doing. You know, my head's always like, well, what's next? How do we handle this? And it's always going. And that's, I feel fortunate that I could do that on something I'm really excited about and really think is impactful. Make sure this is something you want to go all in on. I'm going to make sure it's something that you really want to exist and will use. Well, Brandon, thank you for being on Code Story. Thank you for being on the show today and telling the creation story of Bark. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. And this concludes another chapter of Code Story. Code Story is a production of TouchTap LLC and is hosted and produced by Noah Laphart and edited by George Macharco. Special thanks to Deanna Chapman and Stephanie Campisi for their promotional support. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Breaker, or the podcasting app of your choice. Make sure to check us out at CodeStory.co or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or LinkedIn.